Hey everybody, welcome back to another version of the Sports Island Podcast. I am your host, Rick Mitchell, and this is version 17 on the podcast. Uh, 17 episodes thus far, and this past week I hit a pretty big milestone, and that was uh, 500 listens between all of my episodes that I've posted so far. Between all the 16 episodes, I've gotten over 500 listens. And uh, I'm really am appreciative of you guys and everything that uh, every every time you guys listen to it, um, I definitely keeps me going, keeps me wanting to do it. So I appreciate the support, and I hope that you guys continue to listen and catch up on all the sports news because that's really what this podcast is designed for. It's uh, to help get you caught up on all the important sports news and topics, and uh, give you my spin and my take on some of those. So I uh, just really am appreciative of. Of all the listens so far through 16 episodes, but uh, we begin the 17th episode like we uh, normally do every week, and that is the PGA Tour. And last weekend, the PGA Tour was in Las Vegas for the second week in a row, and it was the CJ Cup at Shadow Creek, and that was, of course, in Las Vegas, Nevada, and... Uh, the CJ Cup was originally supposed to be played in Jeju Island, Korea, uh, but the PGA moved it to Vegas um, due to Asia, obviously, uh, being the epicenter of the virus. So you look at the field for the CJ Cup, and it was quite the field, right? Uh, we had all the big-name golfers. Um, you know, Dustin Johnson had tested positive for the virus, at the beginning of the week last week, so he uh, he was a, a no go. But the field still had quite a few uh, top ranked players, and I would say this is probably the golf tournament that I watched the most out of any of the last four, really, since the U.S. Open. Uh, I just haven't really been tuning in a whole lot because it's uh, it hasn't really been um, you know big name fields and just big tournaments, and so. Uh, this was the first one, like I said, that I tur- tuned into for for quite a bit. And at the end of it, uh, CJ Cup at Shadow Creek, the, your winner was Jason Kokrak with a score of 20 under par. And that was his first career PGA Tour victory. And, um, you know, I, you probably have seen his name up there, uh, you know, in, in some tournaments. Uh, but for him to get his first PGA Tour victory, it's... Especially in a, in a big big field like this with a lot of good players, that's gotta gotta make him feel good. Uh, second place was Xander Shoffley, who we'll talk about here in a minute. He was one of my picks to click. He finished at eighteen under par, and we had a tie for third place at seventeen under par, and that was Tyrell Hatton and Russell Henley. Now, as the weekend went on, it was. It was pretty clear. Uh, Russell Henley started out, and Tyrell Hatton both. Um, well, hell, I guess you can throw Xander Shoffley in there too. Those three guys kind of hit the ground running on uh, Thursday and Friday of this tournament. And uh, it was pretty clear that the way that those three were playing, that they were going to be up there. And then uh, Kokrak's weekend round, um, he he just, you know, they talk about moving day being Saturday, and Boy, he did that. He jumped up there, and then on Sunday, my God, he went seven under on Sunday and 
really just kind of put this thing to bed. But, uh, you know, Xander had a chance late. He had a late bogey. I think it was on 16. Uh, he got a bogey, dropped him a shot back. But uh, Kokrak got up there on that 18th hole, and he just mashed a 300, and I think it was 320 or 330-yard drive right down the middle. And you knew after he hit that drive, you knew it was over. But, yeah, Kokrak's your winner. But the uh, my Rick's picks to click from – this past weekend, CJ Cup at Shadow Creek. So last week I went three and zero. Week before last, I was zero for three. So uh, not not great. But uh, this weekend was in between. I I went two and one. I, I clicked on two, missed on one, and we'll start off. My my picks to click from this past weekend were the first pick I gave you was Matthew Wolf. And he was coming off of back-to-back second-place finishes. Um, and he was playing really good golf. And, yeah, he just I, – I didn't see him finishing outside the top 25 based on his recent performance. But, oh, my God, he just went out there and completely shit the bed to the tune of 11 over par for a final score which placed him 73rd, third from last. And I had no idea. I did not see that coming at all. Um, you know, if I was to put money on my picks to click, I definitely would have lost a lot of money on that. There's no way I thought Matthew Wolf was going to uh, finish as poorly as he did. And I had talked about last week uh, in the preview uh, of my, with my picks to click that his putting was, he was 64 of 65 from inside of 10 feet, the week before at TPC Summerlin. And, the you know, I don't have his putting stats in front of me for the CJ Cup, but he went 11 over par, so it was probably atrocious. And I said if he could putt like he did at TPC Summerlin, he would do well at Shadow Creek. Well, he did not do well at Shadow Creek. Um, so that was that was pretty surprising. I completely whiffed on that one. Now, my second pick to click was Xander Shoffley. And I just mentioned him a little bit ago as finishing second with 18 under par. So, uh, yep, from the opening round, uh, Xander really just kind of took off. And it was pretty apparent that he was, his name was going to be up there on Sunday. And he did. He was second. He had a chance to win late. Like I said, a late bogey kind of cost him. But uh, Xander finished second. So, I mean, that's obviously a click. And my third pick to click from the CJ Cup at Shadow Creek was John Rahm. And Rahm, I mentioned Rahm had never played this course before, but due to his pedigree of being as good as he is, it didn't really matter if he'd played or not, uh, like the other two guys. But, yeah, he, he finished tied for 17th with a score of 7 under par. So he clicked. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't flashy, he wasn't fancy, never really had a shot to win. Uh, but he was kind of right there, you know, he's in that top 25 for a click. So I uh, clicked on Xander and Rom and whiffed on Matthew Wolf. So looking forward to this weekend, this weekend's tournament is the Zozo Championship. And that is held at the Sherwood Country Club in Thousand Oaks, California. Now this tournament is the second of the three Asia tournaments uh, that was originally scheduled for Asia that got moved to the United States. 
And this tournament was originally scheduled to be played at the Accordia Golf Narashino Country Club in Shiba, Japan. And last year's winner of the Zozo Championship was none other than Tiger Woods. Um, it was cool to see him get a win. That was his first win since the, his previous win at the Masters. And, um, man, that, you know, it, it, he's back in the field this week to try and defend the Zozo Championship. But I don't really like him this week. He hasn't played since the U.S. Open, and he didn't look great there either. So, I, you know, I'm not feeling great about Tiger this week. It's a great story. Uh, it's amazing that he's still as good as he is, uh, getting up there in age. But, man, uh, we'll, we'll just jump right into my picks to click for this weekend's Zozo Championship. And we'll start off with Tyrell Hatton. Um, he, he's number nine in the world rankings. And he's coming off of back-to-back top five finishes. Now, I mentioned just a minute ago he finished tied for third last week at Shadow Creek. Uh, But the week before last, he played in a European tour event, and he won it. Um, So he's he's coming off of back-to-back top fives, and he's been playing really well. Really, he's kind of been playing consistently well um, since the PGA Tour restart several months ago. And... Uh, I just I like for him to um, to be up in that top twenty five. Now, with this field specifically, there you know it, it's the Zozo has this basically the same field as the CJ Cup. Uh, Dustin Johnson still kind of uh, I think he still had a positive test and he wasn't able to go. So so DJ's out this week, and then at the beginning of the week, uh, Adam Scott tested positive for the coronavirus. Um, becoming the 15th golfer to test positive. Now, he's out, and he's a top 10 player in the world, so you got two top 10 players in the world that aren't playing, but you still have all the other big names. Uh, anybody that you can think of is, is playing here at the Zozo. But uh, we'll, we'll, So Tyrell Hatton's my first pick to click. My second pick to click is Joaquin Neiman. He's a young kid. He's ranked number 44 in the world. And since his... Third place finish at the BMW Championship in the FedEx Cup playoffs several weeks back. He's gone five for five in cuts made. And he's got three top 15s in those five tournaments since the BMW Championship. And last week at Shadow Creek, he co-led the field in greens and regulation. Which means that he was hitting the greens when he needed to. And... He's a good player. He's, you know, he his name has been up there in a couple tournaments. Um, he's just, he's another one of those, you know, really young players that's going to be a fixture in the PGA Tour for years to come. And just based on his recent performance and his last five events, I don't see why he can't finish in the top 25. But my third pick to click is Harris English. Now, Harris English is 34th in the world, so he's a little higher than Neiman. But in his last 11 starts, he's got three top 10s and nine top 25s. So out of his last 11 starts, he's, he's been in that click range in nine of them. So uh, now he finished, last week he finished 10th at Shadow Creek. And that was after... An over par round of 75 
uh, on Thursday last week to open the CJ Cup. So he he started off rough going over par, but he was able to turn it around last week and finish in 10th. And again, you know, I only got one golfer inside the, the world's top 34, right? And for my picks this week um, in, a, in a loaded field. But I just think those three guys... Uh, if I'm if I'm essentially betting on them to finish inside the top 25 as a click, I think all three of them have the the uh, possibility to do that, and so I, I like them to um, all three of them to to finish in the top 25. But we'll we'll move forward now. We'll go over to Major League Baseball, and last week when I recorded the podcast. The American League Championship Series was playing Game 7 that night, and the National League Championship Series was playing Game 6. Now, in that Game 7, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Houston Astros, I talked about the pitching matchup. Lance McCullers Jr. for the Astros and Charlie Morton for the Rays. And I, I had picked the Astros to win the series, but I said that Based on that Game 7 pitching matchup, I'd give the edge to the Tampa Bay Rays because of Charlie Morton. And that was that turned out to be a, a kind of a correct assumption. Uh, Tampa Bay went on to win the game 4-2. to two, And the pitching matchup, McCullers didn't even make it out of the third inning for the Astros. I told you he was going to be on a short leash, and boy was he, because he pitched 3.2 innings, three, three and two-thirds. <clears throat> now, Charlie Morton, on the other hand, he went six innings, struck out six batters, and only threw 66 pitches. Um, did not give up a run and really allowed Tampa to just kind of... Tampa jumped out to a 4 nothing lead. Uh, the Astros got two in the eighth to make it uh, relatively interesting at the end. But Tampa just really kind of took it to them. And so Tampa Bay moves on. They win the American League pennant. And your American League Championship Series MVP is none other than rookie Randy Arozarena. And this dude, he is the first rookie position player in Major League Baseball history to win an MVP in either the League Championship Series or the World Series. And he's just been a breakout star in these playoffs uh, for the Rays. In the seven-game series against Houston, he Arena just torched him. He hit four home runs in the series. He had a .321 batting average, a 1.152 OPS, and he hit a home run, a two-run homer in Game 7 off Lance McCullers that went over the right center field wall, and that gave Tampa a 2-0 lead. To start the game, and man, he's he's just a good player. Um, you know, he started his season's been rough. What a great story! He started off, uh, I think, tested positive for COVID. He really didn't even start playing until the last month, month and a half of the season, and he comes into the playoffs and just torches everybody. So he really kind of carried the Rays through that series. And without him, you're probably looking at an Astros win, but. A Rosarena, your ALCS MVP, 
So that game finished up on Saturday. Now, the other game Saturday that I talked about last week was game six of the National League Championship Series between the, the Los Angeles Dodgers and the uh, Atlanta Braves. My apologies. My mind went blank. The Atlanta Braves and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, that pitching matchup that I talked about for game six, it was uh, for the Dodgers, it was Walker Bueller. And, you know, for the Braves, it was Max Fried. And I gave the edge to the Dodgers. I picked the Dodgers to win the series in seven games. And I stuck to that. But that pitching matchup in game six, I gave the edge, obviously, to the Dodgers with Walker Bueller. And I said they were expecting six or seven quality innings from him. And he gave him six good innings. And he looked dominant out there, really. And just the Braves never really could get the bats on it. And the Dodgers won game six. So that went to game seven on Sunday. Now, in that Game 7, you had a pitching matchup that was decided pretty much at the last minute. Um, neither pitcher, neither starting pitcher, uh, it, was, it was Dustin May for the L.A. Dodgers. And for the Atlanta Braves, their starter in that game was Ian Anderson. Now... This was a bullpen game. Uh, you know, all the aces for both teams had been used and pitched recently, so they couldn't throw an ace out there in Game 7. But Ian Anderson, he ended up going three innings for the Braves, only giving up two runs, but he pitched. He threw 73 pitches in three innings. So uh, they yanked him out of there, and the bullpen took over the rest of the way for them on that. Now on the Dodgers' side... Dustin May kind of got the late call to start, and he only threw one inning. And he gave up one earned run, walked two batters, and threw 18 pitches. So the bullpen for the Dodgers ended up throwing eight game, or eight innings the rest of the game. Now, they did use, for the final three innings, the Dodgers used Julio Urias, who is one of their starters. But he was able to only throw 39 pitches through three innings, completely shut out baseball. No hits, no runs, no walks, and no strikeouts. But when you're pitching that efficiently, you really, as long as you're getting outs, that all that's all that matters. So he was able to shut the door. The Dodgers won game seven, four to three. And so that that was, you know, the Dodgers ended up winning the last three games of that series to make my prediction be correct on that, Dodgers and seven. It's a great series. The Atlanta Braves are a great young team, and I would expect to see them uh, in the playoffs probably for years to come, really. Uh, they just seem to keep getting better. Now, your National League Championship Series MVP was Corey Seager. Um, and Seager, man, he – talk about Rosarena. Seeger did the exact same thing on the National League side. Um, Corey Seeger in that in that National League Championship Series, he hit five home runs and eleven RBIs in that series alone, which was a landslide victory for the MVP. Now, in the Championship Series, Corey Seeger, his batting average was three ten to go with those. Uh, 11 RBIs and five home runs. He scored eight runs 
and he had 26 total bases. Now, he's the only player in National League history, all right, just on the National League side, to hit five home runs and drive in 11 runs in a postseason series. And again, I mean, if you take Corey Seager out of that Dodgers lineup, he, they're probably not getting on, moving on to the, the World Series, you know. Um, now, Seager's not as big of a name as, say, Cody Bellinger uh, or Mookie Betts, both of whom had great plays. Uh, Bellinger had a couple big home runs in that series. And Mookie Betts, defensively, I mean, my God, he made at least three home run or run-saving catches uh, in the last three games of that series. The first one he dove for, head first, sliding catch to save a run. And in game six and seven, he robbed a home run. Well, game six was going to the wall. That would have certainly been extra bases and an RBI. Uh, but he climbed the wall to grab that one in game six. And then game seven, he robbed, I believe it was Freddie Freeman for the Braves, of a home run outright, just took it away. And, I mean, you're not paying the guy $350 million for nothing. But you really got to see how just how good Mookie Betts is. Um, he is a difference maker. He may not always uh, appear to be that uh, on the offensive side. Although, um, you know, the World Series we'll talk about here in a minute. He, he's had a really good game so far in that series offensively. But you, um, you're, you're paying Mookie Betts. He's a gold glove winner the last four years in a row in the outfield. Um, you know, so you're... You know, he's just a five-tool player and really one of the best players in the league. But that sets up the World Series matchup, and that's the Tampa Bay Rays and the Los Angeles Dodgers. And this World Series is here in Arlington, Texas at Globe Life Field. Now, the Dodgers just got done playing 11 games at Globe Life Field uh, for their playoff round. So... The Rays didn't play at Globe Life Field at all this season because of the way this, the MLB did the schedule. So, because the Rays are in the AL East, so they played the NL East teams, right? The, the Texas Rangers are in the American League West, so the National League West got to play here. But the, so the Rays haven't. So Dodgers played here between uh, between the regular season and the uh, NLCS. The Dodgers have played eleven games here at Globe Life Field this year, and the Rays have played zero. And if you remember, Globe Life Field just opened this year for its inaugural season. So um, neither team really has home field. The fact that neither of them are, I mean, you got a team from Florida and a team from California playing in Texas, kind of the halfway point, I guess. But um, if you're going off a home field, I'm going to say probably the Dodgers have the advantage just because they've played 11 games at Globe Life Field and the Rays have played zero. And since there'll be about 11,500 fans permitted at each game, the World Series, which uh, I read that all, all the games were sold out already, you're probably going to have more Dodgers fans in the stands than you will Tampa Bay Rays fans. So uh, it might get a little noisier for the Dodgers than it would the Rays. So if you factor in those two things, I'm going to say that the Dodgers probably have a little home field advantage and... Um, they're going to be the designated home team based on a better regular season record. Now, Tampa Bay was the number one seed in the American League, and Los Angeles was the number one seed in the National League. So you have both number one seeds making it to the World Series. 
But because of the better regular season record, the LA Dodgers are designated the home team. So if you factor all of that in, I would say the Dodgers probably have home field advantage. Now, Globe Life Field is an artificial turf in the infield, which is what Tampa Bay plays on at Tropicana Field. So they may be a little more familiar with the way the ball bounces um, since they play there uh, and on a turf field. But um, yeah, I, you know, if we're looking for predictions, this, the World Series is already three games in. I'm recording this on Saturday. Game, game three was last night. The Dodgers won that one 6-4. to four. They have a 2-1 to one series lead as it sits right now. Dodgers are up two two games to one, and I I think the Dodgers probably win the World Series. But you know what? For my official prediction on record, I'm going to pick the Tampa Bay Rays. Why the hell not? I've picked against them in every round, and I've they've showed me wrong. You know, proved me wrong. It's kind of one of those fool me once, fool me twice type deals. Well, that's that's exactly it. Like I have no basis. For this pick, the Dodgers are a better team. They have more talent. And just to put it in perspective, this talent, well, yeah, we'll, we'll start here. The Dodgers, okay, and, and, the, and the Rays. The, the Tampa Bay Rays' entire salary, okay, for this prorated season. Now, now mind you, every, every player's salary was prorated for the 60 games that they played. All right, so not everybody's making their full amount. But for the prorated salaries, Tampa Bay Rays payroll this year, $28,773,481. Okay? The LA Dodgers, uh, all-star pitcher Clayton Kershaw and all-star outfielder Mookie Betts. Just those two players, their salary this year is $26 million. $308,642. So those two players on the Dodgers, Kershaw and Betts, are making just $2 million, $2.4 million less than the entire Tampa Bay Rays team this year. That's pretty much all you need to know about the talent difference on these two teams. Not to mention that the betting line for Vegas... Uh, as far as the favorite, when this when the World Series was announced, Caesar Sportsbook posted the Dodgers at minus two twenty and the Rays at plus one ninety. So you have the Dodgers who have more talent; they're a better team. Everybody knows everybody on the Dodgers. Tampa Bay Rays have a team full of I don't want to say nobodies, but a team full of people that most people don't really know, and an entire payroll that's just two point four million dollars more than two of the highest paid players on the Dodgers. So if you're looking at it, the totality of everything I just talked about, even with that home field and whatever, the Tampa Bay Rays have no business winning this series. But because I've picked them zero times in the playoffs and all they've done is win and move on and make me incorrect, I'm just going to pick the Rays. Screw it. I'll pick the Rays. No other reason than just because I think they've already proved me wrong enough. But I genuinely believe the Dodgers probably will win, but I'm going to pick Tampa. Now, we'll move on to around the island, right? We do quick hit topics around the island, various sports. Uh, this is 
There's been a lot more uh, uh, topics this week along those lines. And we'll start off in the National Football League. Now, the NFL, they've had, you know, some more positive tests this week. Um, the news just keeps coming out about that. And I, I, I talked about all that last week. Well, the Oakland Raiders, offensive lineman Trent Brown tested positive for COVID this past week. And so they did their um, contact tracing and they wear all the player. I just found this out this week. Players wear like an electronic monitor, like wristbands or something that basically makes the contact tracing easier. Tells you who you were in real immediate contact with and makes you a high risk for uh, contraction of the virus. And so when they looked at those, the entire offensive line, so Trent Brown's an offensive tackle. So the other four guys on his line got placed on the COVID reserve list along with safety Jonathan Abram. So you have the entire offensive line of the Oakland Raiders on the COVID reserve list. And you have to stay on the COVID reserve list for five days until... Um, uh, you know, until you produce two negative tests within that five-day period. All right, so here it is. This news breaks. Well, that five days expires on Sunday this week, tomorrow, on game day. So the Browns have been practicing with a backup offensive line for the entire week. And assuming that uh, Trent Brown's probably out for this week, uh, unless he somehow produces two negative tests. But uh, the rest of your offensive line, if if I'm the Raiders, I'm praying to God that I get negative tests on those four other linemen because you have one of the best running backs in the league in Josh Jacobs. And if you're going to make him run behind a makeshift offensive line of backups against a stout Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, which is who they play this week. And you just saw what they did to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers last week. I mean, my God. It's not going to be pretty for the Raiders. Um, Now, we'll see. Uh, It's Saturday. haven't heard any updates on that. I'm sure we'll obviously hear something either later tonight or tomorrow. But the weird, I guess the weird thing about what the NFL did this week is because that game, obviously, if, if all five offensive or, you know, if, if the four other offensive linemen and Jonathan Abram, the safety, if they all test positive because they were in contact with Brown, that's going to probably cause the game to be uh, postponed. But the Raiders and Buccaneers game this week was scheduled to be on Sunday Night Football. Uh, Tampa Bay is going to travel to Vegas be the first Sunday night game at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, and uh, well, it was going to be a great scene. I mean, obviously, it's Vegas, right? So um, would have been a great scene, but the NFL was like, okay, well, timeout. They might not even play. we got to wait for these tests. So we're going to move this game from, you know, 820 Eastern up to 405 Eastern. So not only... Did they not get an extra day? They, they didn't postpone it till Monday. They bumped it up to Saturday afternoon, or Sunday afternoon, rather. So, and in that Sunday night football time slot, they put the Seattle Seahawks at the Arizona Cardinals. Now, 
that's a damn good game. And truthfully, I'd rather watch the Seahawks and Cardinals than I would the Buccaneers and Raiders. But because that game is in question, I guess, right now, uh, that's why the NFL went ahead and made that switch. But if I'm the Raiders, I'm pretty pissed off because that I don't have an offensive line right now, and I could use an extra day to make sure those tests are negative and at least maybe get one day of a walkthrough or something done uh, instead of just showing up and playing. So um, if I'm the Raiders, I'm pissed off. I, I would have wanted my game to get moved to Monday, possibly Tuesday, uh, instead of getting moved up to uh, four hours earlier than it would have been played. But, yeah, that's that's something to keep an eye on. Um, they did that just in case, you know, the NFL – um, I'm really curious to see how the rest of these tests turn out because if the Raiders lose their offensive line, then my goodness, that game is going to get ugly in a hurry. But staying in the NFL real quick, the breaking news from yesterday, this is wide receiver Antonio Brown. Now, he had a Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl season, you know, seasons in Pittsburgh. And, you know, he... He got into some some legal trouble. He's had some mental health issues. People think he's crazy. Um, you know, whatever the case is, the fact is, is you know, he's been posting workout videos. He worked out with Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson in the offseason. Um, you know, he's been wanting to get back into the league. He had a mandatory eight-game suspension that got put into place from this past season. So he wasn't even eligible to play until week nine this year. Well, we're coming up on that, and uh, it's week seven right now in the NFL. And so there's a couple teams rumored to, uh, you know, vie for the services of Antonio Brown, and one of those teams was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Friday, it gained a lot of traction Antonio Brown actually flew to Tampa Bay, met with the team, cleared his protocols, and ended up reaching a one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, that Tampa Bay team, they already have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, uh, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, O.J. Howard, and some chump at quarterback named Tom Brady. And here we are, they add an all-pro wide receiver who's only 32 years old. His talent is still there. He just has to clean up his off-the-field issues, whether it's a mental illness or just staying out of legal trouble. Um, he's got to clean that up and prove to the Buccaneers that, you know, he can still be a, a worthwhile investment. But if you're looking at it from a purely talent standpoint, I mean, good Lord, that team is, I and w- they just demolished the Packers this past weekend, like I talked about. Their defense made Aaron Rodgers look highly pedestrian. And it was Rodgers' worst, worst game as a pro. And if you're a fantasy football player, he only got three points last week. So 
That's how that's how good the Buccaneers' defense was, holding Aaron Rodgers to three points in fantasy football. But, um, yeah, I, it's another one of those, the rich get richer. I mean, I, Tampa Bay is going all in for a Super Bowl this year. And, man, that's they're going to be exciting to watch. If, if Antonio Brown can come in there and perform, uh, you know, even, we'll say, 75% of what he was, um, you know, he played one game for the New England Patriots last year before he went through all his legal stuff. And in that game, he still had, you know, 60 yards and a touchdown on four or five catches. So uh, the dude can still play, you know. Uh, these workout videos he's posted, man, he looks good. He worked out with Russell Wilson as well because the Seahawks were rumored as uh, as another team that was going to try and sign Antonio Brown. So he's worked out with Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson uh, among other guys, of course, but uh, in those videos that were posted, dude, he looks he looks really good. Uh, he looks like he's been working out this whole time and maybe finally getting his mind right. So if you didn't have the Buccaneers as one of your favorites in the NFC before this signing, you probably want to pencil them in for uh, at least a playoff appearance. And, you know, I, they're looking pretty good to, to make a run at the Super Bowl uh this year. So keep an eye on that. But we will zip over real quick to the National Hockey League. Now, longtime NHL broadcaster Mike Emmerich, Doc Emmerich, his nickname's Doc. Doc Emmerich has, he announced his retirement from, uh, from broadcasting this past week. And Mike Emmerich he spent 47 seasons calling pro hockey. He's called 45 Game 7s in the playoffs. He's called 22 Stanley Cup Finals, 14 NHL All-Star Games, and he's called Olympic Hockey six times in his career. He is the GOAT of NHL broadcasting, and I wish him well in retirement. I'm going to miss him because if you've watched any kind of hockey on NBC in the last, well, however long he's been with NBC, uh, you've, you've heard his voice. It's iconic. He's got great calls. And, uh, man, he's, he's going to be missed for sure. Um, NBC's got a pretty good crew with the playoffs. You know, you, if you watched any of the playoffs this year, that's probably who's going to take over for Doc Emmerich. But he, uh, man, he's one of the greats. And uh, he's going to be missed just listening to him call call hockey games. Um, but we'll we'll move over real quick to the uh, NCAA in college football. Uh, and I mentioned last week how there was a COVID outbreak on the campus of the University of Florida, and they had to postpone their game against LSU last week uh, because of it. Now after that, it was early in the week, uh, probably Monday or so. Florida Gators head football coach Dan Mullen announced that he tested positive for the virus. So uh, it obviously spread to him. Now, Florida's next game isn't until Halloween night. So he's got some time to uh, to test positive or to test negative, rather, and get that virus out of there. But um, yeah, so another another postponement and another impact from the virus now. Uh, speaking of postponements, the Big Ten, they had originally postponed their season until the spring or like January, 
and there was a lot of uproar, and Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields had a petition to get football back in the fall, which is the way it should be, uh, because the Big 12, the SEC, and the ACC didn't bother to, to budge on their start date, and they're already uh, you know, four, five, six games in. And now they've had some postponements, but they've still been playing. Well, the Big Ten, several weeks back, announced that they are transitioning back to a fall schedule and that it would start this very weekend. So this weekend, Big Ten football kicks off, and you got a couple of high-profile Big Ten teams. Um, and way to jump right into it, because College Game Day for ESPN is in Minneapolis for the uh, Michigan-Minnesota game this evening. So uh, Big Ten football's back, and, you know, it's that's how it should be, man. Uh, the Pac-12's coming in in, uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, they're, they're following suit. And uh, I think the Big Ten's going to play a conference-only schedule. I believe each team's playing nine or ten games. And uh, I, I like for them to have a playoff team, even though their schedule's a little truncated in comparison to you know, the Big 12 or the SEC, but uh, Ohio State's one of the best teams in the country, and uh, I I would say they're they're my prediction for the Big 10 winner and probably a playoff berth. But, yeah, good to have Big 10 football back. It just, it's another sign of normalcy, right? It's, it's another step towards getting back to what we have completely forgotten about as being normal, right? And so it's, it's just good to see uh, some... Some football coming back on the field. Uh, a lot of NFL talent in the Big Ten. So uh, we've had players that originally opted out of the season, opted back in, and so it's it's going to be it's going to be a fun fun finish to this college football season. Um, now we will go over to Major League Baseball, and Major League Baseball. Commissioner Rob Manfred told the Associated Press that he hopes to keep the expanded playoffs and the starting of extra innings with a runner on second base in place for next season, or I guess for seasons moving forward, which I completely agree with that. And I talked about that on several, several podcasts ago when the baseball season was uh, forming and it was announced that they were going to play. I talked about all these new rule changes and everything, and I specifically said I like the expanded playoffs. I don't understand why baseball in a regular season of 162 games limits the amount of playoff teams like they have done. I just don't understand that. You know, if your season was 60 games like this year, it makes sense to, you know, maybe have more of a smaller group of playoff teams. But because your season is double that of the NHL and the NBA's, why are you limiting the play? I just never understood that. So now that they're starting extra innings with a runner on second base, you know, I, I think that's, like I mentioned that a while back, that it's that's the NHL's equivalent to a a three-on-three overtime in the regular season. You know, you're trying to get somebody to score, trying to get the game over so you're not having marathon games. So, I mean, I like that. I think it's interesting. But I'm with Commissioner Manfred on this. I think I'd like for both of those rules to stay in place. And, I mean, ultimately, I guess that's up to him <laughs> to uh, to make that happen, you know. So uh, we'll have to see if that, if that comes to be because um, – 
Yeah, that's th- those are both really good rules. And who's not for an expanded playoffs, right? If if your team has an extra chance to get into the playoffs, why not, right? Um, now, staying in Major League Baseball, uh, it was just announced the other day that um, during the last, actually yesterday, I should say, uh, Friday, the MLB came out and said that during the last week of COVID testing, which ended on Thursday, there were 3,597 COVID tests, and they all came back clean. Now, baseball has not had a positive test in the last 54 days, which is exceptional. Because if you talk about like the first several episodes into the baseball season, it was that's all I talked about. Positive test this, positive test that. This team's missing games. This team's missing. It was, it was just like baseball couldn't get out of their own way. Now, they really turned it around and got it under control and kind of set the blueprint for the rest of the sports on how to handle positive tests with the season. And specifically the NFL, because the NFLs they're not doing the bubble. They're letting every team play home and away games. And uh, so the NFL, I think, has maybe used the blueprint that Major League Baseball did. So that was pretty important that baseball got it turned around. And to not have a positive test in almost two months, uh, that's that says a lot about their protocols and the way that they've approached everything. But we'll move over to the NBA, National Basketball Association, on Friday Uh, the Board of Governors met to discuss possible changes to the plans of the 2020-2021 season, which includes the possibility of playing fewer than 82 games. Um, Now, it was said that the, or it's been reported, that the NBA is targeting a Christmas Day start, start, for the season, right? So the NBA normally has, what, four games, five games on Christmas Day going all throughout the day. Kind of a unique tradition that they've picked up here these last several years. But the NBA is targeting Christmas Day and a schedule of uh, 72 games, I think is what the reported number is. So it's only 10 fewer games than what they would normally play starting on Christmas and ending probably in that April, mid-April range like they would usually play. End. So um, I think it's a good idea, uh, and I, I honestly think that the NHL is going to follow the same kind of uh, formula because the NHL, Commissioner Gary Bettman over there, he said that their target start date is January 1st, which, um, you know, January 1st is only a week after Christmas. So the NHL and the NBA are looking at starting at around the exact same time. They both play 82-game regular seasons, which I would assume that both are probably going to end up in that 62-72 to 72 game range this upcoming season. But speaking of the National Hockey League real quick, to tie this in, January 1st is their targeted start date, right? And January, every January 1st, New Year's Day, the NHL hosts the annual Winter Classic which was here in Dallas this past year. Well, for the 2021 season, it, it was announced that uh, the Winter Classic is going to be in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The St. Louis Blues and the Minnesota Wild playing outdoors at Target Field. And that was, of course, scheduled for New Year's Day. Well, this past week, the NHL announced that that game, along with the 
All-Star Weekend, which was scheduled for January 29th through the 30th at uh, the BB&T Center in Sunrise, Florida. Those two events are getting postponed. Uh, Probably not going to happen this week, or this year, rather. Uh, The NHL is going to... um, The Winter Classic for next season, uh, 2021-2022 season, uh, we'll, we'll still be in Minneapolis, and you'll still have the Blues and Wild. We're just not going to have uh, a Winter Classic this year or an All-Star Weekend, which, you know, given the fact that they're trying to shorten the season or probably will shorten the season to finish as close to that normal end date of, of mid-April as possible with the playoffs starting uh, mid-April and finishing up in June, uh, if that's the goal, you know, they, they probably do need to eliminate All-Star Weekend um, I get the concerns for the Winter Classic because you get, you know, 60,000 people in a baseball stadium or whatever, and, you know, it'll get a little packed in there. But, you know, uh, with the NBA and the NHL, I think they're probably going to follow similar schedule uh, formulas, right? I, like I said, I think it's going to be between 62 and 72 games for each league, and I think they'll try and finish as close to their normal finishing date as possible. But that'll be something to keep an eye on for sure, Um, just because, you know, both of those sports literally just got done. Um, You know, NBA champion Los Angeles Lakers won last week, and the week before that, the NHL Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning won a couple weeks ago. So they literally just got done with their seasons, and, you know, they got to get off-season workouts and, um, and training camps and all that stuff in in the next two months, and that includes, you know, your holidays in between. So, um, you know, the NHL draft was was a week and a half ago. Uh, the NBA draft is in November. So these rookies aren't going to get a whole lot of time to uh, go to their development camps and training camps, and they're just kind of get thrown into the fire. But, you know, if we can get back, so, you know, if we can get sports back to, again, normalcy, right, that's the goal. Uh, this pandemic is still still kind of going on here, and, uh, the ultimate goal is to get back to normal, and sports has been a huge part of that here these last few months. And just, I know I speak for a lot of people. I'm just very grateful that sports was able to find a way to get back out there and, and get us some entertainment because those couple months without anything was very, very rough. But that's going to wrap up the 17th version of Sports Island. I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. Uh, as always, rate, review, and subscribe. And I look forward to talking to you guys next week. Stay safe. Be well.